chapter 19. As we noted last week in our journey through Luke here that uh, by the providence of God, I was one week off as far as Passover Sunday or, or the triumphal entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday. Excuse me. But chose to go ahead and depress that on through for a couple of reasons. One, I'm a creature of habits and I just like to get in my rut and stay in it. And two, as I looked over the text, I realized that some of the events that I'd be preaching on this morning and completing the chapter would also take place on that first Sunday, that Palm Sunday. And so there's a continuation of thought here from what we began last week in Luke chapter 19. Now, of course, last week we considered Jesus and His triumphal entry. And we also saw that with that, there was all the makings there of a, of a joyous occasion taking place. You had the masses of people who were, who were filled with expectation as we've considered the text there when it says all the way back in verse 11, because as Jesus was nearing Jerusalem, they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And so it's expected that, well, if Jesus is the Messiah, and there were many there who had come to that conclusion. Now, they had the wrong expectations about what He was going to accomplish. But many convinced that in fact Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus making His way to Jerusalem. Jesus going to come and enter the city of Jerusalem. And they would trust to set up the Messianic kingdom. So they come and they welcome Jesus with the expressions. Even the expressions that would be reserved for the Messiah, casting their, their robes down on the ground before the donkey that Jesus rode, casting the palm leaves they've cut out of the trees upon the ground, so that He might have, as it were, a royal carpet for the feet of even His colt to walk upon. And Jesus, we even considered last week, in contrast to earlier times in His ministry when He was compelling those who knew who He was to remain silent. To not speak of Him being the Messiah. Jesus, we saw by His words and by His actions last week, coming in, deliberately having this donkey, knowing that it was a fulfillment of Messianic prophecy. So Jesus coming to a place... It seems to be encouraging the people, encouraging this type of a welcome. So there's here, again, all the makings of what should be a, a very joyous occasion. As Jesus enters into Jerusalem, joy on, on the parts of the people as they're, they're realizing what they think to be. Here He is, here's the Messiah, He's coming, and even joy on Jesus' part. He's reached His destination and there is the, the welcome of the people there welcoming Him for who He is. Misunderstanding many of the details, but, but rightly welcoming Him as the Messiah. And we see in our text today that there's a sudden turn in the emotions. A sudden turn as Jesus looks over the city of Jerusalem. And instead of being a, an occasion for great joy... We find, in fact, that Jesus is moved very deeply here, moved even to the point of tears. And so that brings us to our text today. What it would that brings such an emotional turmoil to Jesus on what had been such a joyous, promising to be such a joyous occasion. Again, reading with me here in verse 41 and following. When he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. 
And he wept over it. Saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you. And surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, It is written, In my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. And they could not find anything that they might do. For all the people were hanging on to every word he said. Jesus issues a warning early. In fact, we even considered it back in in Luke chapter 11. That is to watch out that the light in you is not darkness. Watch out that the light in you is not darkness. There's a warning here of the danger of deception when one embraces error yet with full assurance that it is true. And we would recognize that to be the case in those who hold to cultic cultic beliefs, cultic groups. Many of those who they have embraced error, but they are absolutely convinced that it is truth. And so you can find that you can talk with with these men. You can talk with those who are Mormons. And you can talk with those who are Jehovah Witnesses and other groups. Even Christian science just right off the street here. And you can present to them the case for who Christ is. The historic Christian message of of the gospel as it has been proclaimed for 2,000 years. As has been handed down to us. And you can reason with them, and even if you get them to the point where they seem like you have knocked down all their props, all their excuses, all their reasoning, you'll find that still, in many cases, and in most cases, they will not turn. And in fact, some of the times the response is nothing more. I still choose to believe it. What a deception to hold to error, to embrace error with the full assurance That is true. And certainly that's what Jesus warns about when he speaks of this light that is in you. This conviction that what you embrace, that what you hold to is truth. But the fact of the matter is this light is darkness. You've been deceived. Blindness to truth in spite of every piece of evidence to the contrary. It's a willful and intentional blindness. That is rooted in, many times the case, rooted in hard-heartedness. And is rooted in pride and arrogance. Well, Jesus encountered such willful blindness. Of course, we see it, we've seen it as we've looked through the life of Christ. Preaching through Luke's gospel here. He encountered it sadly among those who were the religious leaders of his day. Which ought to be a good warning to us. Religious activity, religious Position is no guarantee that you're walking in truth. I just mentioned on one occasion with my children, uh, just one day this week, that you know, being a pastor doesn't guarantee that you're a Christian. It's 
There's no guarantee that you're walking in truth. That what matters is that there be a changing of heart. We also find, though, in reading the Scriptures, though, that we understand what the Scripture teaches about the nature of man. What it teaches about the nature of the human heart, that the, the human heart is prone to such blindness. It is prone to, to living under such deception. And in fact, a natural man, apart from the grace of God, can do nothing but otherwise. Cannot help but embrace some degree of error unless the grace of God intervenes. And how dangerous and how deadly a potential it is for any one of us. We're not immune to that. The danger of being blind, willfully blind against the truth. And this morning we want to consider from our text here the warnings that are given a potential blindness. And it is a potential for any one of us. And to consider the nature of that blindness. To see what Jesus was dealing with in His day. To see what we must likewise deal with in our own day. But also recognize that we're not always and necessarily limiting this to outside. We're also recognizing the danger of even the blindness of my own heart. So let's not make the mistake as we listen today. As we consider God's Word today that, oh, this is for someone else to hear. But there's the proper occasion that we give listening and say, Lord, is there a message for me to hear? Is there the possibility that I have been blinded? That I, the light that I hold to is, in fact, darkness. I want to look here at the blindness that, that God's word speaks about and to consider the nature of that blindness. First of all, that there, these people were blind to God's offering of help. Blind to God's offering of help. Here's Jesus as he approaches the holy city. If you want to call it the holy city. As Jesus approaches Jerusalem. The place where as we've considered in Luke's gospel. That's been his destination point. From Luke chapter 9. Very clearly stated. He's, his heart his, was set upon going to Jerusalem. And he's come here. And again, the, the mood that was been set by the masses of this joyous occasion to receive this Jesus, to receive this Messiah. And as Jesus comes to the city and he looks out, there's the road to allow him to look out over the city of Jerusalem. He stops and he's moved here and he's moved to tears. He laments the ignorance, it says in verse 42. The ignorance of things which make for peace. If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. Implication being, you did not know. You did not know the things that make for peace. If you had known this day. One truth that becomes glaringly obvious here as we consider our text here is this. That Jesus does not look out upon Jerusalem and speak from a cold, distant heart of indifference. That as Jesus comes, here is Jesus moving to the city of Jerusalem. That this is not one who's, who's unconcerned, who's, who's pulled himself away emotionally from what's coming upon this city. This is not a distant God observing from heaven the things that are going to take place and merely making a statement of these things. No, we find here that this is the God-man. 
The God-man, Jesus Christ, who has come to Jerusalem. And this God-man is here full of compassion. It says that he saw the city and he wept over it in verse 41. He wept over it. Some translated with, translated with this word, that, that, he, that he sobbed, that he burst into tears, that there was a deep movement of his spirit. When he looked over the city of Jerusalem and knew what was going to transpire, knew the reality of what existed within that city. Deeply moved by this consideration of this nation's sin. Deeply moved by consideration of the pending judgment of God that's going to be brought against the city of Jerusalem. And then he gives words for the reason of his tears. It says he approached, saw the city, and he wept over it. And then the words that he expresses there in verse 42, he says, If you had known, if you had known, laments again their ignorance, if you had only realized God's provision of help that is being made for you. If you, even you, the words there, even you, if there were ever a city, if there was ever a people, if there was ever a nation to grasp the overtures of God's abundant kindness and mercy and grace, if there was ever people that should have understood the person and the work of the Messiah, it should have been you, even you, Jerusalem. It should have been you that grasped the implications of what's being done, of what's transpiring here by my coming into this city. It should have been you that knew it. It should have been you who'd known the things, as he says there in verse 42, the things which make for peace. There was the intent of Jesus' incarnation. And we've talked about it before that Jesus didn't come just to make a cursory visit. He came with an intent. He came to secure eternal peace. He came for these things of peace here to secure eternal peace between a holy and a righteous God and sinful men. So what are the things here which make for peace? What are the things that they did not know in their day? Well, certainly the things that makes for peace would be this. It is God's initiative in salvation. That God is the one who saves. That God is the one who lays the plan. God is the one who makes provision. God is the one who sends His Son. Salvation is from the beginning unto end a work of God. And it is God here who is sending His Messiah and God's work of salvation is ultimately fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And they missed it. Here's the thing for peace, that God has sent His Son to bring peace between a holy God and defiled men. That makes for peace, true peace, eternal peace. And you've not known it. You've not known the work of God. You've not known that Jesus Christ coming in His person and in His work was accomplishing the will of God. You've missed the things for peace. But also, not only God's initiative in salvation, but also that which makes for peace is man's brokenness, man's humility, man's cry for mercy for, to God. That God might be merciful, that God might show His pardon. 
Man's repentance. That was the call of the day, wasn't it? That was the call of John the Baptist, wasn't it? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The public words of Jesus, he began his ministry as what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Here are the things that make for peace. Yes, God has doing the work. God has given His Son. It's being fulfilled in the, in the person and the work of Christ. But the things that make for peace on your part are repentance and faith. And you did not know it. You did not repent. And then the consequences of that if missed. Man, verse 42b, the last part of verse 42 you missed these things which made for peace, and now they have been hidden from your eyes. Here we see that their sin has in fact become their judgment. When they would not see, now they shall not see. These things which make for peace, seeing in Jesus Christ the work of God, seeing the personal work of Christ for what it is, is God's initiative, God's provision, God's help, if you were, for for men who need salvation. The things for peace and men being called to repentance, men being called to faith in Christ, to embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You've missed these things. You've been blind to these things. You've rejected these things. You would not see now. You can not see. That's your judgment. These things are hidden from your eyes. So they missed... The things of peace, their sin of willful blindness has become their judgment. And we see here in Jesus Christ, God's supreme offer of help for undone sinners. Here it is. Here is God's offering of help. It is Christ's. And we see a people, if they were, and again, if ever people should have understood, ever people should have grasped the implications of all that Jesus has done, of all that He has said, all that's being done by His even coming into Jerusalem as He, as he has, there was ever a people that should have gotten it. It's the people of Jerusalem, the people of Israel. And they missed it. So Jerusalem and Israel, blind to their sin, Blind to their need of such a Messiah. They don't need a Messiah like this. They need a Messiah who will break the rule and the reign of Rome. And reestablish Israel as his kingdom. So they cannot see. God's provision for them. And we need to make sure that we all clearly understand this in our day today. That all who hear, who hear the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. All whoever sit in the place and hear the message of Jesus Christ as God's provision, as God himself come. Who hear the message of repentance of their sin and, and faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus coming as the God man. Jesus Christ coming and having the sins of his people placed upon him. Jesus Christ coming and having his righteousness, his merits, his perfections placed upon his people. A wonderful work of salvation that God does. All who hear the message of Jesus Christ. You hear an offering of God's help. A help from God Himself. But make sure you understand this. 
It is not an offering of those who help themselves. You know, God is not in the business of helping those who help themselves. That God is in the business of helping those who are absolutely destroyed. Those who are helpless, as the scripture describes, as those who are being helpless and hopeless, who recognize apart from God's intervention, there's nothing they can do. They don't come to God with, here God, I'll do my part and you do yours. But recognizing that salvation is of God from beginning to end. Those are the ones that God offers His help. Those who see their unfitness before Him. Those who recognize that they are absolutely doomed and damned and condemned by God. Apart from the work of His grace. Those are the ones God helps. You know, it's not God doing 99% and me doing one. It's God doing it all. It is all of God. Salvation is of the Lord. And for those who have eyes to see, those of us who have had our eyes opened by the grace of God to this offering of help, those of us who have by the grace of God recognized the depravity of our own heart, the brokenness, the defilement of sin in our own hearts, recognize what it has done to us, how alienated and separated from God we hopelessly are. To have our eyes opened that, that God has done something. That God has extended an offering of help to those who will recognize their helplessness and hopelessness before Him. Then there is great joy, isn't there? There's great praise and there's great thanksgiving and blessing unto God. To those of us who can say, by the grace of God, I have seen God's offer. It's God's grace. It's the grace of God that I do not continue to walk willfully in my blindness. Certainly that's the nature of the blindness. Blind to God's offering of help. Blind to to recognize the things of God. Blind to recognize how God has worked. Blind to recognize that God Himself is in Christ. Second, we see that they are blind to the opportunity at hand. Whereas in verse 42, we had the problem. The problem was that they didn't know the day. This day, the things which made for peace... The consequence being, they've now been hidden from your eyes. And in verse 43 and verse 44, the order is reversed. We have the consequence that precedes. And then the reason. The consequence is this. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hit you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave you in, leave in you one stone upon another. That's the consequence. Here's the reason. Because. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You did not recognize the time of your visitation. You did not recognize the opportunity that was at hand for you this, at this point in history, at this point of time. This time of their visitation would be the same as this day of verse 42. If you had known in this day, what does he mean? What is this time of this visitation? Is he speaking merely of his entry into the city of Jerusalem? I don't think so. 
There had been the speaking of God. There had been the teaching of God's Word. And His and God's Word transpired in a unique way, beginning with the preaching and the baptizing ministry of John. So that was a portion of this time of their visitation. When John the Baptist came preaching, John the Baptist came calling men into repentance. God, John the Baptist called them to a baptism of repentance. But then there was also the time of Jesus' ministry. As Jesus lived among them, as Jesus walked among them for the three years of his, of his itinerant ministry, the things that he did, the things that he taught, these attesting miracles, a signs to verify his claims is true. He did these things so that men could look and say, truly, this must be the Christ. This must be the Messiah. This must be more than just a man. You remember what happened when Jesus healed the, the man that had been slapped down through the roof. He said, your sins are forgiven you. And they said, well, wait a minute. What do you, who do you think you are forgiving sins? And what does Jesus reply? He says, so that you know that I can do forgive sins. I say to this man, rise up and walk. I can say, rise up and walk. I can say, your sins are forgiven. One just as easy as the other. I have the authority to do both. The testimony to them, this one is Christ. This one is the Messiah. The time of the message of repentance by John and by Jesus. A time of generous, gracious opportunity for them to determine, to look carefully, to consider what's going on in their lifetime. To consider this man who lives among them, who ministers among them, and to rightly determine this one is the Messiah. But as Jesus indicates... This is a time and an opportunity that was lost. You did not recognize the time of your visitation. This was your day. This was your opportunity. When God Himself came and visited among you in the person of Jesus Christ, God came and visited. This was your day. Your day of visitation. Your opportunity. And you missed it. You lost it. So again, these things are now hidden, verse 42, hidden from your eyes. Verses 43 and 44 speak of a coming destruction upon the city of Jerusalem. A destruction that, in fact, we know took place in the year 70 A.D. when Titus came and he absolutely destroyed Jerusalem. A time when he came in what could be described in nothing less than a horrendous massacre of the citizens of Jerusalem. It made no difference whether you were a young child, if you were an aged individual. It made no difference whether you were a layman, whether you were a priest. He came in with his army and he absolutely annihilated, absolutely cruelly massacred the masses of people in Jerusalem. And so Jesus, he, gear, he tells them, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have a time when your enemies are going to throw up a barricade against you. They're going to surround you. They're going to hem you in on every side. That's what happened. And they will level you to the ground. And your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. And the stones that they left there, one upon another, were deliberate. So that other citizens, other societies could see how vain and foolish it is to rebel against Rome. This is what happens. What a warning. What a gracious warning that Jesus extends here. 
Your day of opportunity is now. In spite of where you've been, in spite of what you've expressed, in spite of whatever you've done up to this point, your day of opportunity is now. The time now is to repent, to hear the warnings that come forth, to recognize that this has been, this is your day of visitation. It's now. But in reality, there was no repentance. There was no national repentance. And the judgments of God, as as Jesus speaks of, were realized. Some years ago, I heard the account of a young girl who had gone to an evangelistic meeting with some, some youth on, with, from her church. or They were going on a bus, and they had gone. And as the occasion was the, the manner of this particular evangelistic meeting, they would go and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed, an invitation be given. Many would come in response to the invitation, and they'd be counseled. And this individual, this girl came forward, and she, she responded to this invitation. She was going in some counseling with someone to make sure she understood this is what we're talking about here. And so the implications of the gospel were placed upon her. The implications of repenting from your sin, of releasing your sin and embracing the Lordship, the rule of Christ, was placed upon her. And her response was, I will keep my sin. Thank you. She stood up and walked out, got on the bus and left. And that evening, as they were journeying back to their home church, there was an accident. That bus was involved in a wreck, and there was only one fatality. It was that girl. One fatality. Her day, of, her day of opportunity, her day of visitation had come. Here are the implications. Here's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's your choice. Choose your sin or choose Christ. I will choose my sin. Thank you. And thrust into an eternity. Missing the day of opportunity. Listen to all again who hear the message of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful opportunity that is at hand. Excuse me. But there is also a warning to us. To any who would hear the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And hear it with a spirit of indifference. Any who would hear the message of, the, of Christ, of salvation through Christ, of Jesus coming and, and the full implications of the gospel. And who would ignore that message. It's very serious. Because you do not know at that occasion for hearing. You do not know even today of hearing what you hear of the gospel of Christ. You do not know if this would be the last day of your visitation. The last opportunity offered to you to hear the gospel of Christ and to repent. You don't know that. And so we need to understand that to hear the gospel of Christ, to hear the invitation of come to salvation in Christ, come to Jesus Christ, receiving Him as your Lord and as your Savior, is an is a invitation to give full consideration to, because we have no guarantee that it will be offered to us again. No guarantees. 
We ought to read the accounts of Christ's life. We ought to consider his words, to consider his deeds and beware of a refusal to acknowledge Jesus as your God. Beware of that. It's a very dangerous and a very presumptuous thing to assume that today's opportunities will be repeated tomorrow. It's a very dangerous assumption. And Jesus was among a people who missed the opportunity that was at hand. This was your day of visitation. And you didn't recognize it. You didn't recognize the time. This was it for you. So any who hears God's message today of salvation through Christ. Any here today. Any here today who have not yet come to know Jesus Christ, who have not yet come in repentance before God and embracing by faith Jesus Christ. Any here who have not yet done so, take care to hear, to consider, to weigh the implications of His words and of His work. Consider who Jesus is. Consider what He has done. Consider what He has said. Consider what is recorded of Him in the Word of God. Consider these things. Do not fail to recognize what may well be your day of visitation. To ask God for His gracious mercies to embrace Jesus for who He is. And I can look around me to some degree here and I can think, well, I'm preaching to a lot of adults that know the Lord. But I'm not going to make that assumption. And don't you dare either. But also, for some of our young people, some of our young people, today could be your day of visitation. Your your last opportunity. Your final chance to embrace Christ. Do not think lightly of that. Consider Christ. I realize we have many young children here. And I wouldn't dare make such an implication to them. But parents, we need wisdom, don't we? To impress upon our children... The implication of the gospel and that to hear the gospel is your opportunity. Today is the day of salvation, says the Spirit of God. And Jesus lived among those who were absolutely blind to the opportunity that was at hand and they missed it. They walked away. And finally, we see the nature of this blindness. It is blind to one's obstinacy of heart. The events in verses 45 and following where we have Jesus in the temple apparently took place not on Palm Sunday, but on Monday, the next day, as Jesus returned to Jerusalem. He entered the temple there. Verses 45 and following. It certainly reveals to us how blind someone may become. You know, Luke doesn't give any time designation here. He doesn't hear say in the next day. He just says in Jesus entered the temple. You could get the idea from reading here that 45 just was right on the heels of verse 44. And I think Luke's deliberate in that. I think he wants us to see these two things together. 
He wants to see Jesus as one who has compassion, as one who is moved to tears over the sin and over the pending judgment that is coming upon the city of Jerusalem, hence the nation of Israel. But he also wants us to see what's going on with people. As Jesus comes into the temple and here is this this Jesus who comes into the city in humility and he comes and he, he cleans out this temple. Of those who are selling, those who are there for the, of course, there for the Passover, and many would come, would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and would need to purchase animals to make sacrifices. And so these men decided to set up shop right there inside the temple. So Jesus said, "This isn't the place to do this." And it, obviously, there was a cooperation on the parts of the priest over them. They probably were gaining some benefit of it. So Jesus says. My house shall be a house of prayer, and you have made it a robber's den. You're not here meeting legitimate needs. You're here robbing people, patting your pockets. So the reader, if you're reading through Luke's gospel, you move from the charge that's leveled against Jerusalem as Jesus laments there and the consequences of their blindness to an episode and an event that supports and demonstrates this blindness in these people. And you see there in verses 47 and following in particular, it says that he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. And they could not find anything that they might do, for all the people were hanging on to every word he said. Now, as you read this text, and as you read what transpires, what Jesus is doing as He enters into Jerusalem, and there's the weeping, the sobbing, the deep compassion and, and anguish of heart He experiences over the sin and over the coming judgment of Israel. And then the next day, He walks into Jerusalem, walks into the temple, comes in and sees what's going on, casts them all out, and begins to teach. Now, as you're reading that, you would be compelled to look at this, and you, it's almost shocking it's almost shocking to see what Jesus is doing here. And then you see in verse 47, the contrast, the chief priests, the scribes, and the leading men among the community or among the people there were trying to destroy Him. It's almost a shocking image here of how can this be? How can Jesus be doing what He is doing and these people still responding the way that they're responding? You know, it's you want to take these people and say to them, just, just look. Look at what's taking place here. The temple has been cleansed. What's happened here? Jesus has done nothing here but restore God's order. Is there any evil in this act? What sin do you raise against this man? Is God being honored or dishonored by what He's doing? Just look at this. Ask yourself some reasonable and sensible question to say, look, look at what he's doing. And if that's not enough, listen. Listen to him. As it says there in verse number 47, he was teaching daily in the temple. Listen to what he's saying. Listen to the words that are coming forth from his mouth. Where are his errors? Where's the evil in his speech? Where is there anything other than compassion and kindness and grace in the words of this man? Listen. 
And if you look and if you listen, then you need to lament. You need to be the one moved to tears. Priests and scribes and leading men, look what you're doing. You're trying to destroy him. You need to come to the place and say, after I've looked and I've, and I've listened, I need to say to my own heart, if my heart is still bent on bringing destruction against this one, what in the world is wrong with me? What's wrong with me that I would seek to destroy someone who does such as this? Lament. See your own heart in contrast to the heart of Jesus and be willing to say, it's not Him, it's me. I am undone. I am so blind, so foolish, so obstinate, so stubborn. Who could say that their zeal for the things of God was so holy as the zeal of Jesus? Who among them would say that their teaching was so penetrating and so true? Can it be right? Can it possibly be right to oppose and to hate and to seek to destroy someone like this? Just look. Look at what he's doing. Just listen. Just remember. Think back of the three years of ministry. Think of those who have been helped by the kindness of this man. Surely, in light of this, Anyone can see the obstinacy of his own heart when he sees and he hears Jesus. To see him, what he does, to hear him, what he says, and still have my heart where I want to destroy him, there's got to be something wrong with me. There's none so blind as one who is convinced that he sees. Who cannot and he will not see the error of his own way, whose mentality is, I am right, so he must be wrong. That's the attitude. Just look. Just listen. Just think. Put your brain in gear. Can it be right? Can I possibly be right if I have an attitude that I want to destroy this man? And yet that's what we read. Cleanse the temple, teaching daily in the temple. And the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people, they got one thing on their mind destroy. 
I want to destroy. See, there are going to be many who are going to insist upon the impossibility of Jesus being God until the day they die. It can't be possible. And that's what it comes down to here, doesn't it? This can't be God. Can't be. It's not based on careful examination. It's not based on sound reason. It's not based on empirical evidence. But it's rooted in a prideful, self-confident, arrogance, obstinacy of heart. Beware. Watch out. That the light in you is not darkness. It's your insistence. If you deny Christ. If you deny the claims of Christ as the Son of God. You deny the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. Beware that the light in you is not darkness. And at least be willing to go with, with an honesty. and openness that says, Lord, I don't know these things be true or not. But I'm willing for you to convince me. If you would convince me. But even there is recognizing that you can't stand outside. You don't have the capacity in of yourself to reason through these things by yourself. Just to recognize, God, if these things be true, I need you to convince me of it. Blind to one's obstinacy of heart. So let me ask, do you see? Do you see? Do you see Christ as He's revealed to us in the Scriptures, as He's made real to us by the Spirit of God? Do you see Him as the God-man, God in the flesh? Do you see Him as God's provision of help, the only name under, by which men must be saved? Do you see? If you see that today and you've not yet embraced Jesus Christ, folks, don't assume that you have an opportunity tomorrow. Don't assume that. If you see these things, if you see that Jesus is Christ, and yet you have not yet knelt before Him, knelt in your heart, acknowledging Him as your God, as the one who has right to control your life, Confessing your sin, turning from your sin, owning Him as your Lord and as your Savior. Then do it. Today. Today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, we know that we'd all walk in blindness apart from the grace of God. But we also recognize it's a blindness of choice. Quite content to walk in our ignorance and our blindness. But Lord, I ask that you would awaken our hearts. Any here today, any here today who have not come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Oh, Father, work mercifully, work graciously in their hearts. I pray for any here who might have any false assurance 
who would lay claim to Christ in word, but in reality there's never been a transformation of heart. There's never been the work of the Spirit of God of regeneration. There's never been a conversion. They've never been born again. Oh God, be merciful and show that reality to anyone today who, who are in that place. And we pray for our young people. Pray for our children. Oh Lord, our desire to see them come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And we need wisdom. We need grace as parents. And Lord, we ask that you would save them. Lord, we ask that you would bring them into yourself. We ask for those who are young that you would bring them in soon and quickly that they might, they might know the joy of serving Christ even from their youth and be spared the, the pain and the scars and the hardship of a life that's lived in rebellion and sin and defiance against you and to be brought even in later years. Oh, Father, we pray for our children. Save them, we ask. And Lord, that there'd be no one here to leave this place any longer deceived. There'd be no one here leaving this place thinking, I'll deal with things on another occasion. None that would assume that the opportunity given to them today is assured of them tomorrow. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.